Hey folks, welcome to episode 10 of the Man Up Screen podcast. My name is Mike Zumo, and we are halfway through our coverage of the Kirk Allen Superman serials. On this show, we're going to start with chapters 1 through 3 of Adam Man vs. Superman, which will return Kirk Allen as Clark Kent Superman, Noel Neal as Lois Lane, Tommy Bond as Jimmy Olsen, and Pierre Watkin as Perry White. This serial also introduces Lyle Talbot as Luthor. Just Luthor, as DC Comics wouldn't give the character his first name until the 1960s in a story that told a story about how Superboy and Luthor became enemies. John M. Wilson of Giant Superman Podcast also told me that he was introduced as Lex in a letter column two issues prior to the aforementioned story, so I just want to send a special thanks to John for filling me in on that info as I had a hard time finding anything concrete on the internet. And uh, if you're not listening to Giant Superman Podcast, you really should be. He and Bob Fisher put on a great show talking about the Giant Superman annuals of the Silver Age in all their far-fetched ridiculousness glory. I'm not the biggest Silver Age fan in the world, but I can listen to them talk about the Silver Age all day. And sometimes it can take that long. Anyway, back to Luthor. Like Kirk Allen's performance as Superman, nobody talks about Lyle Talbot's performance as Luthor. And I realized that as I was watching this, he's probably my second favorite Luthor. It's hard to match what Michael Rosenbaum did on Smallville for seven seasons, but Talbot does a great job here. He can be menacing, but charming, and he is ever the master schemer. He also showed that he can be evil and maniacal. Overall, it's just a great performance. And one thing that struck me was that this Luthor surrounds himself with good people and competent people. As much as I grew up with the Gene Hackman interpretation of Luthor, I never understood how the so-called greatest criminal mind of our time, of our time, God, that sounds so much better when Michael and Andrew Leyland do that on Hey Kids Comics. But anyway, I never quite understood how he could surround himself with such dimwits like Otis and Miss Tessa Mocker. But that's a podcast for another time. Through Luthor's scientific ability, this serial introduced several science fiction concepts, such as a space transporter, which can move people from place to place, a kind of device that would become famous about 16 years later when Star Trek used one. Luthor also invented the main arc, which could send people to the Empty Doom, kind of a proto-Phantom Zone type place, possibly laying the groundwork for something that would be created ten or so years later. And also, Luthor used a device which he eventually, in Chapter 15, called a Cyclotron, to create earthquakes, shoot a rocket, and fire out some flying saucers. In addition to Lyle Talbot's performance as Luthor, this is a better written serial as compared to the previous one. Screenwriters George H. Plimpton, Joseph F. Poland and David Matthews didn't rely on Superman setting outlandish traps and suffering defeats to lengthen the serial to the proper 15 chapters, and Luthor is a better equipped villain to face Superman than the Spider Lady was. She just lasted as long as she did because Superman couldn't get out of his own way and kind of prolonged the adventure. And this serial was directed by Spencer Gordon Bennett, who directed the first serial along with Thomas Carr. It also was reported to be the most successful serial at the box office, but I have no numbers to back that up, as good data wasn't kept in 1950. This serial also pulled the character of Adam Man from the radio series. On that show, he was created by Nazi scientist Der Tuffel in 1945 as part of his scheme to get rid of Superman. In that show, his name was Henry Miller, and he was powered by kryptonite. This time, Adam Man functions as a mask for Luthor, so he can operate as a TV station owner and still perform his criminal operations. So, I am going to take a quick break, play a promo, and then I'm going to come back with the first two chapters of Adam Man vs. Superman. Hang around. (laughs) 
Do you enjoy time travel in general and the Silver Age of comic books in particular? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast. My name is Billy Hogan, and I will be your host. Together, we'll crash through the time barrier and fly into the past to explore the Silver Age adventures of Superman. One week, we will take a look at the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and soon, Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. The next week, we will feature the Man of Steel's titles, Superman and Action Comics, which will include the Supergirl stories during her run in the back of that title. You can join me each week on Wednesday or Thursday at the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, which is available on iTunes. And your emails are always welcome at supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape. Alright, welcome back folks, and here we go. Chapter 1, Superman Flies Again. Luther's gangs are causing robberies. The police believe that Luthor, the renegade scientist, is at work again. You mean Superman's arch enemy? Yes, but I still think Superman scared him away. Well, if it is Luthor, he'll give himself away sooner or later. How do you mean? Well, he always likes to brag about what he's done and what he's going to do and... Terry White speaking. Okay, thanks, Chief. Luthor's on the radio. Police wavelength. The police are right in suspecting that I have returned. The Daily Planet is wrong, as usual, and is powerless to unmask and stop me, as is its ally, Superman. Now pay attention, city authorities of Metropolis. I will leave your city on one condition. Turn over to me all the money in the vault of the Metropolis Trust Company. You have just one hour in which to decide. If I've not heard from you by that time, I will demonstrate my power by destroying the Metropolis River Bridge. If you still refuse to deal with me after that, I'll reduce your city to dust. You were right about his bragging, but I still say that his threats are absurd, fantastic. I'm not so sure about that. Luthor has some strange evil genius. Far above that of any scientist I've ever known. And I say it's rubbish. A stupid attempt to scare us. The police don't seem to think so. They wouldn't. Superman helped save the bridge. There's Superman. Look, it's Superman. The bridge is stopped swaying. Detects the direction from which the destructive sound waves are coming. 
then finds Luthor's hideout. Now his X-ray vision reveals Luthor's secret hideout. Attention, police! Luthor's hideout is in a cave on that mountain due east of here. I'm going after him. And arrest the twisted criminal genius. You can't defy the world and get away with it, Luthor. One year later, Luther is now in solitary confinement and offering to tell the government about a new invention that combines radar and television. Harry White speaking. Well, hello, Ward. I just wanted to check with you and see if you still have Luthor locked up there. In solitary? Why? Oh, I see. Well, thanks, Warden. Let me know if you have any trouble with it. Luthor's in solitary for his own protection. He's applied for parole, and the other prisoners resent it. Well, how can he even hope for a parole? He's one of the most dangerous criminals ever known. He's promised to turn over to the government one of his greatest inventions. It's a combination of radar and television. If he's paroled, it'll be the disgrace of a century. Well, there's nothing we can do about it now. Criminals like Killer Lawson start using coin tokens that allow them to teleport short distances, escaping the police. Luther uses a token to return to his hideout and shows Lawson a larger prototype arc machine he hopes will kill Superman. I see that friend Lawson is not familiar with my latest invention. This apparatus can accomplish the transmission of matter over short distances. Its secret ray breaks down the component atoms and uh, reassembles them here. That's how you brought me here. How is the work on my main arc progressing, Albert? It's ready for a test, sir. Good. Turn on the high-frequency control. This is the greatest of my many marvelous inventions. The world will soon know of it through my friend and partner, the Atom Man. It's a master transmission machine, so powerful it can move armies across continents. It may be even powerful enough to conquer my archenemy, Superman. If I can lure him under it, I can project his atoms into space. There they would circulate aimlessly for eternity. The fate of the empty doom. It's kind of hard to believe. Would you dare be the first one to test it? Not me. Get another guinea pig. I will. I rescued you for an entirely different purpose. What's that? Your unique talents will soon be of great help to me. Luther returns to his jail cell, while Lawson uses his human fly ability to climb a building and rob a jeweler. Lawson then teleports into a nearby van. Jimmy spots Lawson in the van and gets punched out. Lois and the police end up chasing the van, pursued by Superman. At a rural area, the van stops and appears to explode. Alright, well, this serial starts with a crime wave with a ghostly image of, a of the Atom Man's face transposed over the crimes, which gives us an indication that he's going to be the villain of the piece. And the last newspaper headline indicates the Luthor Gang. So if you're a comic reader and you're sitting in the 1950s theater for this serial, then you're getting a treat because Lex Luthor is going to make his, as I indicated in the opening, is going to make his first appearance into screen media. The Daily Planet set is a little different this first time around. You can tell by looking at it that it's the same set as they used in the previous serial, and it's always shot from the same angle with the storage room door in the back of the room. However, this time Clark's desk is facing toward the camera, and Lois's desk is in the front and to the left, more in the center of the room. 
In the previous serial, her desk was more against the wall, on the left, right next to Perry White's office. And this time around, that's where Jimmy's desk is. Even in 1950, Luther is an egomaniac, as Clark points out, and it's nice to see that Luther's character characterization has remained the same in even after all these years. He offers to leave the city in exchange for all the money in the treasury. Why not? There's very little I wouldn't do for all the money in, in the treasury. And we also get Lois pay some lip service to the last 12 or so years of Luther's history to that point in the comics describing Luthor as Superman's archenemy. The flying effects are done somewhat better this time around. The producers still use the animated Superman flying image for the long shots, but they mix in close-up close live-action shots of Superman flying. In this chapter, however, you really only see his chest. Now, as Superman flies away, the narrator describes him Superman as the Man of Tomorrow, which is a nickname that the character has had for quite some time. Anyway, the authorities refuse to answer Luthor's demands, and he uses his machine to destroy the Metropolis River Bridge. Now, the footage of the bridge disaster actually is real, as a lot of the uh, disaster footage is because the producers couldn't duplicate that in the time and budget that they had. This is the famous collapse of the original Tacoma Narrows Bridge that opened in 1940, also known as Galloping Gertie. The footage used is that of the bridge in its final moments prior to its collapse on November 7, 1940, shot on a 16mm Kodachrome motion picture film by Barney Elliott and Harbine Monroe of a Tacoma area camera shop. Now, an interesting development here. Superman holds the bridge as a car is stuck on the bridge with a woman driving it. For some reason, he decides to hold the bridge instead of going to get the woman from the car on his own. Would have made more sense for not to endanger the police by going on a bridge that is tilting, but he makes the human police officers go get her the hard way. Now, eventually he lets go, giving way to the real-life footage of the galloping Gertie collapse. Now, the narrator tells us that Superman is standing in front of the sound waves that was threatening to destroy the bridge. And having found Luther's hideout with his x-ray vision, Superman flies toward it, and while he is flying, calls to police to inform them of what he's about to do. For some reason, the producers used a flipped shot as Superman's S is backwards. I'm not sure why they were compelled to flip the image to a mirror view, as this wouldn't be a stock shot as Superman wouldn't always be yelling to the police down below. So... From his cave hideout, Luther knows that Superman has spotted them, and he's going to destroy the city. But Superman shows up before Luther can do anything, and he is apprehended. Two things that, stuck, that stand out at me. The first, Superman was able to see into Luther's cave, and I'm quite confused as to why he didn't line this headquarters with, with lead, and then we'll see later that he chose to use a lead-lined cave for his headquarters later in the serial. Superman comes into the cave. The shot of Luther firing a revolver at Superman just seems wrong. I just feel as though Luther would know a better way to try to stop Superman than shooting at him like some random thug. And like I've said before, I really like Lyle Talbot's portrayal of Luther. He's not a bald actor, and he wears a skull cap. But as the character, he's never shown as insane. He's just evil, and he's a genius scientist, like we'll see throughout the serial. Now, Luther is in jail. Time is passing, and... Crime is still a problem in Metropolis. One paper suggests it's the highest crime wave since Luther's time, indicating that life has gone on since he's been incarcerated. Like I said, I've seen accounts that suggest even the synopsis I read earlier, which was provided by the supermanhomepage.com, says a year has passed, but nothing concrete has been said in this serial to indicate the passage of time. Apparently, newspaper cars have radios in them for communication because Perry is getting a hold of Jimmy here on what, uh... To give him an assignment on what seems to be a short way radio or some kind of walkie-talkie. Probably similar to what police use. Jimmy is is sent to cover a fire. And he uh, he ran into these men who he suspected of trying to rob a place. 
This is where we're, we are introduced to Bear, who was played by Terry Frost, the same actor who portrayed Brock in the previous serial. Bear flashes a coin and disappears. Jimmy does what just about all Jimmy Olsons would do. He goes back to the office and tells Perry White about it. Perry doesn't believe a thing that Jimmy is saying, but Clark is giving him the benefit of the doubt. During this scene, I like the implications from Perry that Jimmy isn't very good at his job. It's kind of a precursor to what we're going to see in the Adventures of Superman series with George Reeves. At one point, Jimmy suggests that maybe Luther's behind it, but Perry indicates that Luther is still in jail, and if, if he were to escape, it would be front page news and they'd know all about it. But Clark tells Perry to check with the warden anyway. Uh, Clark, you're a reporter. That's your job. Perry is supposed to tell you to call, not the other way around. I don't know. Maybe we have Perry White call because Pierre Watkin is better at delivering expositional dialogue than Kirk Allen is. I don't know. And now we get another news story. This tells us as now Perry is going to assign Lois and Clark to cover the story about Killer Lawson, who is just starting about to start his life term in prison, but Lawson has a coin and he disappears right in front of Lois and Clark. And now suddenly, they are believers. Which goes to show, seeing is truly believing. Clark thinks Luther has something to do with it, but he's in prison, so how could that be? Perry checks on him again, again and apparently Luthor is in solitary because he has applied for parole, and apparently we're getting some resentment from the other prisoners, who probably feel that they deserve parole because they've undoubtedly committed lesser crimes than Luther has. We don't actually know what Luther did that got him in trouble other than trying to threaten Metropolis, but I guess that's more severe than the armed robberies and other stuff that other people in jail have committed. So now we get our first view of Luthor in solitary confinement. This is an interesting solitary cell because it has two bunks. The uh, purpose of solitary confinement is for you to be by yourself. It just seems like a waste to have two, two bunks in a cell, but we'll leave that at that. But we, we see that Luther has one of those coins as well, so he can go in and out of jail at will. And he shows up in the cave with Albert standing in front of a large device, which looks like a projector. Like I said, the space transporter is similar to what we're going to see in Star Trek in 1966, except without all the shimmering. Now Luthor is giving Lawson the grand tour of the cave headquarters, and this is where we are introduced to Luthor's main arc, which he uses to send people into what he calls the Empty Doom. And this is the first reference he makes to the Atom Man, whose face we saw in transposed over the crime montage when this chapter started. Right now, Luthor describes the Atom Man as simply his partner. Lawson, at this point, and I don't really think he ever finds out the truth that Luthor is the Atom Man. And now here's an odd coincidence that happens because we need to move the plot forward. Just as Clark is reading about Lawson's human fly stunts, Jimmy comes by with a newsflash about, you guessed it, a human fly. Now Clark sees Lawson climbing up the side of a building and reports to the police that it's Lawson because he was able to use his, maybe we'll call it his telescopic vision, although I don't think that terminology was coined yet. But Clark can see that it's Lawson from the ground up onto whatever story that is up in the building. Well, we eventually find out that Lawson is there to steal some jewels. And I love the look on everyone's face as people disappear. There's constant confusion. And this is where when we discover that the news truck that Jimmy was checking out before is a ruse to cover for Luther's criminal activities, and they make up make off with Jimmy. They hide in a little compartment in the back of the truck. Now here's a little funny bit. Clark ducks into uh into the little uh, covered area to change into Superman, but Lois finds him and reports the incident to the uh, police herself. Now eventually Clark gets away and is able to turn into Superman. And again, I continue to like the close-ups of Superman flying, at least their live action. Although I will admit that I like them better when the S is facing in the proper direction. The bullet effects haven't changed since the last serial. They are animated black bullets. 
drawn in like cartoons. The truck that Jimmy is in explodes, and we are led to believe that Jimmy has been killed as the first chapter of this sequel serial comes to a close. All right, so let's move right along to chapter two, Adam Man Appears. The crooks have teleported away to Luther's hideout with Jimmy. What happened to the television truck? It blew up. Then Jimmy was killed. No, he wasn't in it when it exploded. Nobody was. Where'd they go? They vanished mysteriously, just as others have before them. You know, I think Clark Kent may be right in suspecting that Luthor has a hand in this. Jimmy meets the masked Atom Man, who shows the main prototype arc machine. Through my greatest invention. The world does not know of it yet. But it will, and I will be the most powerful man in it. Who are you? Don't ask that, or try to find out. The knowledge would be fatal. Follow me. This apparatus generates a secret ray which breaks down your component atoms and reassembles them wherever I desire. This is what I call my main art. I built it for one purpose, to dispose of Superman. With it, I can send him into space and keep him there forever. That'll be a good trick if you can do it. But how about me? I didn't ask to come here. True. Since you don't know where you are, I'll permit you to depart. Perhaps you can deliver my challenge to Superman. I'll be glad to meet him at any time, blindfold him, and put him under the main arc. Hey, you're not going to ship me off into space. No. The main arc can send you to any place I choose. You'll be delivered safely to your office. Blindfold him. Oh well, what have I got to lose? What am I saying? The teleports Jimmy back to the Daily Planet building. I hate to tell you, you'll never believe me. Jimmy, sometimes I'd like All to... right, I'll tell you, but don't say I didn't warn you. The walls are rock, so it must be underground. If I didn't know Luthor was in jail, I would swear he was a guy who calls himself the Atom Man. Let me see that mysterious coin. Let's get this to a safe place. Outside, Luther's men see Jimmy has one of the coins, and that it appears to end up in the Daily Planet's office safe. While Superman is saving people on a ship that's a fire, the crooks try stealing the coin, but Clark returns and chases them to the roof where they teleport. What happened to it? Lois took it. Remember she said we should have it analyzed? If she's got it, she's in danger. Jimmy, notify the police to search for her. I'll contact some of the places she might have gone. I'll be the one who goes crazy. Clark remembers Lois took the coin. Luther wants the coin back, so he sends some crooks after Lois. Superman saves Lois by stopping their car and tying them up. Thanks, Superman. Oh, it's nothing at all. Now I'll fly you back to your office. What about these men? I'll send the police after them. Ready? Always. And the police found any trace of Lois? Yes, sir. I mean, no, sir. And now Clark Kent has wanted off, too. Take good care of her. She's got a lot of big ideas. A lot of crazy ideas. Let me see that mysterious coin.
namely silver, a trace of tungsten and copper, and a few grains of some element I don't recognize. I'll keep this for further study. I'd be glad to get rid of it. At the Daily Planet, Perry lets Superman keep the coin. Hearing Superman has the coin makes Luther happy. Someone calls in a tip to Clark, and by extension Superman, but Lois answers the phone and goes to a building where the crooks ask for a coin. When Lois fights, she ends up pushed out of the office window, as Lois often does. Alright. Now, during the recutting of the beginning of this chapter, we see Jimmy... We see that Jimmy, Bear, and Lawson have teleported out of the truck before it exploded, so they're safe. I'm not exactly sure why they take Jimmy with them. Maybe the Atom Man want, who we're going to see in a few minutes, as evidenced by the title, Atom Man appears. He wants to tell everybody what's going on. They, but they could have just as easily blown Jimmy up with the truck, as Superman was clearly too late to rescue him. And Superman checks the remains of the truck and is perplexed to find as to where everyone went. I find that amusing how Superman lent some credence to Clark Kent's theory. Back in the cave, we see Adam Man for the first time, wearing a black robe, looks like a judge's robe, and a mask over his head. I've heard people derisively say this looks like he's wearing a crockpot over his head. Now, this serial is in black and white, obviously, having been filmed in 1950, but it looks like it, it, if this were in color, I would think this helmet would be uh, like a dull gold color or maybe even a light copper. I don't know. That just seems right, according to my imagination. Obviously, the face is completely covered, and it has two circles on either side, which could resemble ears. He speaks through a mouth which doesn't move. There's probably some kind of speaker mounted in there. Tall mask is kind of creepy looking, and I can't imagine it's very easy to, for the actor to see out of that thing. And they never actually say this, but I wonder if Lyle Talbot is actually under that mask or if it's somebody else. The representation of the Atom Man does look a little bit taller than Lyle Talbot, but he could be under there, I don't know. But And he speaks in a foreign accent, too, but it's Talbot's voice, definitely. I will say the disappearing effect, which we're going to see a lot during the course of this serial, looks pretty smooth. The characters fade in and out pretty uh, slowly, almost like a dissolve, and it's put together very well when you consider that this was made in 1950. Now, eventually, Jimmy is released by the Atom Man, and he postulates when he talks to Lois and Clark that Luther might be, that he could swear Luthor would be the guy who calls himself the Atom Man. But he discounts it because he knows that Luther's in prison. How does Jimmy know that the man he met calls himself the Atom Man? In the short screen time they shared before the Atom Man used the main arc to send Jimmy back to the planet, he never identified himself as such. So Jimmy must have read ahead in the, in the script a little bit, because at no point did the Atom Man identify himself. Unless somebody else did off-screen. Now, this is when Foster, who is hanging out in Truck 2 in front of the Daily Planet, realizes that Jimmy has the coin, and they have to get it. Didn't they think to take the coin off Jimmy after they transported him? So far, these criminals are not exactly off to a rip-roaring start. Now, Foster here is portrayed by Jack Ingram, who played Anton in the first serial. And he plays the uh, pretty much the same role. Uh, he is one of the key aides to Luthor and the Atom Man. Now, the scientific nature of some of the crimes leaves Clark to suspect that this is the kind of thing Luthor would spearhead. And, and now we're, we're going to see for the first time how Luthor's men buy on our heroes at the Daily Planet. They look through this scope that apparently can see everywhere, including into the Daily Planet, which is several stories away. I'm not sure how this device works, but if Luther can beam people all over the place, then I guess believing this kind of surveillance device, which can see through walls and pick up sound from seven or eight stories up, 
isn't too much of a stretch, but the science is never explained. This serial is also going to treat us a little bit of a comedy bit with Perry and his cigars. You know, it just constantly shows that he's either having trouble, he's having trouble finding something in his pocket to light his cigars with. You know, it gets you a brief chuckle, but I never believe the joke pays off as well as it could. I will say this, though. This serial is much better at showing some good old-fashioned super feats, as we see Superman rescue people from a ship that caught on fire, obviously due to limitations of, of budget and what can be accomplished in 1950. Superman only takes people off the boat two at a time, so it probably takes him a good long while. The serial shows him rescue the first two people, and then we just assume he continued pulling people off the ship until he was done. The next time Perry is in his is in Perry's office. The editor doesn't understand how Clark got there so fast. A great story. Your best. I don't know how you got it so fast. Well, I'm not quite sure myself. And Clark can't account for his ability to get places real quickly without compromising his secret identity, so he just says he doesn't know. Now, two guys come in now saying they have to fix the safe. Foster and uh, the guy he's working with there said that, saw that the planet staff put the coin in the safe. But what I don't understand is the secretary, Gloria, who's been working there since the first serial, although she's a blonde now, she just lets these two guys in without a work order. Nobody lets anyone into an office without some kind of credential to work on something. Just, ugh. Perry still doesn't believe Jimmy about the people disappearing, and this is the first time as Perry and Clark come out and catch the guys trying to go into the safe. Perry finally remembers to ask for the work order, but the criminals leave and they run outside the newsroom, and this is the first time we've seen anything outside of the newsroom. And it's nothing special, it's just a hallway, but I still enjoy seeing new places, and we'll see this set a few more times throughout the course of the serial. Clark gives chase, and we see the Daily Planet roof for the first time, and the two men jump off the roof and disappear as they're falling. And I must say, I sure help, I sure hope that wherever these guys went had something to stop their inertia, but they're going to face a tough landing when they get wherever it is they're going. Now, we get a brief scare as the coin is missing, and all of a sudden, Clark realizes that Lois took it. Good old Lois just going off on her own to have a dangerous object analyzed without telling anybody. After Luther's men are notified that Lois has the coin and they give chase, Lois is followed into a blast area, which sounds like a good place to drive to when you're being chased. You know, but eventually she is rescued by Superman. And starting and in this serial, you know, more so than the first one, Lois gets this big, wide smile every time Superman shows up. There's no question, she's smitten. Now, he goes after these guys, and does he only do it because she asks him to? I don't know, you'd think he'd do it anyway. And I love the smile Lois gives while watching Superman take care of these crooks. Yeah, she's clearly enjoying herself here. Remember the last serial when the characters would follow Superman's movement to super speed when he tied the crooks up? Well, it returns here, and I believe this is the only time we're going to see that in this serial. But Noelle Neal seems to have doubled down on the effect, moving her entire head trying to follow him, instead of just moving around her eyes. And uh, this serial also shows a lot more flirtation between Lois and Superman. Apparently, the producers are getting a little more comfortable with that. Now, she drove into the blast area, but Superman is going to fly her back to the planet and just abandoning the car there. I guess the planet has an unlimited supply of these vehicles because I haven't seen anybody go back and get this thing. And back at Perry's office, Superman uses his supervision to identify some of the elements in the coin and takes it off the chief's hands. And for some reason, this seems to make Luther happy because it could help him find a way to get Superman under the main arc so that he can send him off into the empty doom and out of his life and out of his hair. Lois takes a call from Bear and follows a tip, and Superman sees Lois fighting off some goons in an, o in an office, and we see a lot of bystanders looking up at Superman this time around. 
I can definitely tell that there was a little bit more money in the budget for extras, because crowds are starting to develop a little bit thicker than we saw in the first serial. There was a whole, probably about 20 or so people watching from the shore as Superman rescued the people from the boat earlier in the chapter, and there's uh, quite a big crowd here of uh, people watching Superman do his work. Superman flies to where Lois is, and he appears to fly into some electricity as he glows a little bit and falls from the sky. But he's not the only one falling, because Lois also falls out of the window as the chapter ends. Alright, with the first two chapters in the books, I'm going to take a quick break, play another promo, and then I'm going to come back with the third chapter we're going to cover on this week's show, A Blaze in the Sky. Hang around. Stop it, November 4th, 1988, Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several species, including the Dominators, the Kunz, the Tanagarians, and the Durlins, and they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated, the United Nations response is unequivocal. Drop dead. First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover, issue by issue. Tie-in by tie-in. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike, the Invasion Podcast. A proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Melbourne. All right, welcome back, folks. Headed, let's head into the last chapter for this week. Chapter 3, A Blaze in the Sky. Superman manages to save Lois. Thanks, Superman. You should be careful. That was an obvious attempt to get rid of both of us. It sure was. Well, this is only the beginning. Soon we'll face even greater perils. Perry assigns Lois and Clark to interview Luthor, who has been granted parole. It's the disgrace of the century. I said it before and it still goes. The only excuse is that he's giving the government a new defense weapon. A combination of radar and television. Yes, and he'll probably give Metropolis a new increase in its crime wave. There's been another robbery. They caught the guy, but he vanished with a silver coin. Interview Luthor when he comes out of prison. Ask him what he thinks of these mysterious disappearances. Luthor says he will run a television network. Ah, my good friends of the Daily Planet. You and your accomplice Superman doubtless regret my good fortune. I don't think Superman will be very happy about your parole. He'll have to start all over again. My future plans will cause him no worry whatsoever. Uh, what are your plans? I've invested in a television studio. My inventive genius will revolutionize the business. No doubt. Have you any comment on these mysterious disappearances or the uh, uh, mysterious Adam Man? I've heard nothing about them. I'm a little behind with the news. I'll be happy to have you visit my station anytime. Just a moment. We're from the Clarion. We'd like to have some pictures. Certainly. As many as you wish. Well, if you'll just stand over here. That's fine. Again, Superman makes use of his X-ray vision. You saved my life, Kent. I'm grateful. How did you know that camera was a phony? Well, no real photographer would waste a flash bulb on a sunny day like this. You know these men? I never saw them before. Why'd they try to shoot you? It's probably part of the penalty I must pay for going straight. 
I've been giving the authorities a great deal of information. I'll be glad to appear against these men, guard, at their hearing. Pardon me now, I must get going. He goes to his new office and then secretly teleports to his hideout. Luther learns that Superman has returned the coin to Perry. Luther's men, spying on the Daily Planet from a TV truck, learn Perry wants the coin tested by a Dr. Stone upstate. Clark, Lois, and Jimmy fly upstate in a plane. Superman saves the plane, which has been sabotaged. Well, where's the fire? What happened? Superman saved us while you were hiding, as usual. I wasn't hiding. I'll land to the next field and see how much we're damaged. 6-7 King calling Longville Tower. Who put the fire out? Maybe Superman gave him a hand. That's not funny. Luther's men get to Stone first and put him in his vault. When the reporters arrive... You're Professor Stone? Yes. You must pardon my appearance. My head was burned in an accident. I know why you have come. Let me see the activated coin you have brought. One of the guys that works for the Atom Man. How did you know? I suspected when he said activated coin. Only those on the inside know that it's activated. You're very clever, Mr. Kent, but not quite clever enough. One of the crooks ends up recovering the coin and runs out, pursued by Clark. Back inside, Stone in the vault, unaware of Jimmy and Lois, activates a blazing trap in the room. All right, an interesting note here. The narrator in opening describes the coin as magic. It's not really magic at all, but scientific. Luthor would object to it being called a magic coin because he is a man of science. Granted, it's comic book science, but that's what, that's what passes for science in this world. The chapter starts with a recap. Apparently, by flying toward the building, Superman caused feedback in the TV truck as he dove down to catch Lois. The good thing about the animation versus the live-action flying effect is that the animation can fly in the shot. When Kirk Allen flies in live-action, it's mostly a close-up of his body, showing the, the S and the up. Sometimes you see his legs. Apparently the, apparently the live-action flying shots were done with the camera flipped on its side and Allen standing up. And uh, what looked like a backdrop of sky behind him. So after Superman sets Lois down in an alley, he warns Lois that they will all soon face greater perils. Isn't it his job to make sure that she doesn't? Superman's given a nice ray of sunshine here. And you would think Lois would kind of owe it to herself not to endanger herself unnecessarily. But if there's anything we've seen that Lois Lane is capable of, it is endangering herself unnecessarily. It's probably also a reminder to the audience that we still have a long way to go in this serial as we are only in chapter 3 of 15. The formula is still the same as the previous serial. We're meeting with Perry White in his office to provide expo exposition and to advance the plot. Eventually, Luthor is paroled, and the gang is assigned to ask him about the mysterious disappearing act. Luthor is oozing with sarcasm here as he's released from jail. Lois and Clark and Jimmy come up to him, and he refers to them as, Oh, my good friends of the Daily Planet. They're not good friends. And Luthor goes out of his way to reassure him that they're not good friends. But he also reassures them that he is not going to cause any further trouble for the law and for Superman. Now, eventually, these two guys show up to take Luther's picture. But Clark, with his x-ray vision, finds a gun in the camera and comes up with an excuse as to how he knew they were fakes. He says that it was a bright, sunny day and no 
real photographer would waste a flash bulb on a day like that. Luther tells Lo Lois and Clark that he is going to invest in a TV studio and revolutionize an industry that is pretty much revolutionary and by just the fact that it exists, as TV was just starting to show up on the scene around this time. It's almost ironic that the serial is acknowledging the technology that is going to put an end to the format in just a few years. Serials were made up until about 1957 and disappeared after that. And also, Luthor has no trouble showing off his ego, referring to his inventive genius. He wants everyone else to know how smart he is. And that's something you're going to see from Luthor down the line. You see it here. You see it. In the Christopher Reeve films, you see it to some extent in Lois and Clark. There he's just oozing charisma. And you, for better or for worse, you see it in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice as well. Now, we get Luther arriving at his TV studio. This is our first look at Businessman Lex about 35 or so years before he appeared for the first time in the post-Crisis Superman books. I wonder if Marv Wolfman has seen this and was thinking of this when he devised the reboot of Lex Luthor, which would be a major businessman in Metropolis in the new continuity of that time. Again, I love that this serial is taking time for Superman to accomplish super feats. We didn't see this at all on in the first serial. He was solely focused on the plot at hand. And now there is an oil well fire, which it looks very good. I don't actually know what went into realizing this shot. It could be stock footage, or, or it could be a practical effect. Lois is telling this guy who's just running on the screen, telling her to clear out that she's from the press. So that allows her to stay closer to the oil fire. I don't know how much being from the press is going to matter if that fire spreads and Lois is blown back where she came from. Now, Superman's solution to this is a little easy, which makes me think that the long shot of the well fire is a stock shot from some kind of news outlet. He just basically covers up the burning well and smoke, and we're left to assume that this smothers the flames. I'm actually not sure that that would work, especially since they seem to cover it with some wood paneling. But for all intents and purposes, it works, and Lois finds Clark lying in the car as he pretends to have fainted. These are the kinds of things that Lois is really going to give Clark the business over as the serial drags on. I continue to like this portrayal of Clark. He's timid, but not bumbling like Christopher Reeve's performance would be in the 70s and 80s. But he's not nearly the bulldog that Clark would be under George Reeves. You know, one scene of George Reeves' Clark that really stands out to me. I don't even remember what episode this this was in. But Lois and Clark are trying to get some information out of somebody. And she asks what they'll do if he doesn't cooperate. And Clark says something to the effect that they'll dig it out of him the hard way. You very rarely see Clark Kent act so driven. We'll see that later in the George Reeves series. We're not going to see it here, although we do see him do some un-Clark-like stuff later on. And we're going to see that in this chapter. After the oil fire, Perry is going to advance the plot by sending the crew upstate to get that coin analyzed. But as usual, somehow Luther's men are using their spy equipment to see through the walls and listen in on things. And Bear has sabotaged the plane. Clark, and Clark is the first one to notice, so he fakes looking for parachutes. Next, Superman comes out next to the plane in another decent-looking live-action flying shot. He grabs what could be a stick of dynamite and flies off in animated style. You know, I can tell that just by watching this one, they're making an extra effort this time to have Superman fly in live-action as much as possible. Now, this is funny here. After... Superman rescues the plane. Clark comes back out with the parachutes, and he wonders what happened, where, where the fire went. And Lois, of course, accuses him of hiding. Really, Lois? 
If that plane blew up, where would he hide? Now that the fire is out, much to the chagrin of Bear in the car, one of the other guys mentions that maybe Superman helped him out, and Bear just gets mad. So like I said, they Luther's men get out to Dr. Stone's secluded mansion first. I wish I had a secluded mansion. No people, no aggravation. This podcast is not going to get me that secluded mansion, so I'm going to have to find another way. And also, when you have a secluded mansion, there are no men with guns making you open the vault. And what is so important that this guy has a vault in his house anyway? The uh, planet crew shows up, and Bear is sitting there with bandages all over his face. Where have we seen this before? Clark, where have you seen this before? Dr. Hackett, anyone? Clark takes some initiative after he hears Bear ask for the activated coin. And here come the Adam Man's men. Clark, of all people, you know, I just talked about how timid he was, but here he's doing something very un-Clark-like, and he is going to start a fight. And he actually gets to hit it on somebody. Lois is holding a gun on Bear, and Clark gets shot and is unharmed. And that, my friends, is how Lois Lane finds out that Clark Kent is Superman. I had you there for a minute, didn't I? No, that's not what happens. That bullet didn't harm you. Only Superman could do that. Oh, it hit the coin in my pocket. It was my lucky coin that time. If you're telling the truth, the coin will be dented. Let's see it. There, you see, it's dented. In the words of Maxwell Smart, it's the old shooting the coin in the pocket trick. Well, not exactly, as Clark has to take the coin out of the pocket and dent it with his thumb before anyone notices. And as Clark is proudly showing the dented coin to Lois, Bear grabs it and runs off with it. And unable to turn into Superman, Clark gives chase. You know, it's nice to see Clark act a little tougher and knock out Bear. He's showing some toughness without being Superman, and he didn't do that in the previous serial. There were a couple times, especially the escape by Dr. Hackett, where I thought nobody knew who Clark was at that moment. He could have done more without being Superman. But he's doing it here, but he's not doing it in front of Lois and Jimmy, because he didn't, God forbid he accidentally reveals himself when it actually matters. He spends a lot of time just talking to people and accidentally dropping things, but he doesn't do it here when he's needed. So, all of a sudden, Professor Stone comes to in his vault. He gets free, and he sets the room on fire. Why is everyone able to just set a few switches, and a room catches on fire? Arson should be more difficult than that. But that's where the chapter ends. We leave wondering whether or not Jimmy and Lois are going to get burned alive in this room. But before I go, I want to remind everybody that feedback is always welcome at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can also get me on Facebook by searching the Man of Screen podcast. And my shows are also posted at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So, like I said, I want to hear from you. I haven't heard from you guys yet, and I'm looking forward to it. So, like I said, send me a message, give me a review on iTunes, and we'll talk. Like I said, I really want this show to be uh, as much of an interactive experience as it can. With that said, next time, I'm going to cover chapters 4 through 6 of Adam Man vs. Superman. What sensational scheme has Superman in mind now? Will Adam Man actually get Superman under the main arc? For the answers, see episode 11 of the Man of Screen podcast on this web feed next week. <laughs> 
Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks and copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.